You might know my next guest for spellbinding thrillers, such as Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's Library, which has taken readers on unforgettable adventures through the worlds of books and puzzles. Or perhaps you've enjoyed his collaborations with the legendary James Patterson, co-authoring the popular iFunny and Treasure Hunter series. My guest's ability to transport readers to fascinating worlds, whether they're solving mysteries in a library or embarking on a high-stakes treasure hunt, is nothing short of magical. His books have inspired me and countless readers to embrace the joy of reading, making him a beloved figure in the worlds of children's and young adult literature. Sit back, relax, and get ready for New York Times best-selling author, the one and only Chris Grabenstein. And if she was really mad at me, it was Christopher Allen Grabenstein. So it's good to meet another Christopher. One of the most powerful aspects of literature is its ability to inspire. Can you share a book from your childhood that left a lasting impact on you or played an important role in your decision to become an author? Well, you know, that's very interesting. Christopher, I get asked this question an awful lot. And I have to admit uh, how old I am when I was your age and like uh, in uh, upper elementary, middle school. Uh, we did not read books when I went to school. We had something called SRE, which was a big box of color-coded essays. And each essay was like about 2,000 words long. You'd read the essay, then it'd be about 10 comprehension questions. If you got them all right, and you did enough in one color, you got to move to the next color, got to move to the next color. It was very depressing. I think they were teaching us how to take SAT tests, because that's pretty much what the English or oral, whatever they call that part of the SAT uh, test is. You read comprehension, you answer questions. So the books that were very important to me, I have a bunch of them right behind me up there, are books published by the, the usual gang of idiots at Mad Magazine. I got my first subscription to Mad Magazine when I was 10 years old, and it was filled with satire and parodies, and they would knock the stuffing out of anything. You'll make fun of commercials, movies, TV shows, politicians. They would make up silly rhymes. And those books and magazines, because I, I would save up my quarters all year long, and on my summer vacation, I'd buy like six of those mad books, and I'd read all of those, and I got the magazine every month. And that book and that whole mad magazine experience coupled with some good watching of Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons, taught me uh, the most about the power of words and especially how you can use words and be funny and get people's attention. So uh, I, you know, a lot of authors my age, will you'll hear them cite, Mad Magazine was the biggest influence in our young lives. Your books often blend elements of mystery, humor, and adventure. How do you maintain such perfect balance in your storytelling? Oh, well, that's awfully nice of you to say that. Uh, I guess it's just practice. And also, uh, when I was working in advertising, James Patterson, who you mentioned, was my first boss in advertising. And he always told us, write as if nobody wants to or has to watch or listen to anything you've written, that you have to earn their attention on uh, with every sentence, we had to grab the viewer's attention in the first five seconds or they changed the channel on us. So that was a great experience working in advertising for 16 or 17 years. And uh, I also, you know, I always like to tell folks, it's kind of when you're writing, think about a roller coaster. If you were on a roller coaster where you went up a hill and all you did was go downhill from that point on, all you did was go, 
you went into some eternal pit in the earth and all you did was keep going down you would not want to ride that roller coaster but what makes a roller coaster fun is the anticipation as you climb that first hill and then you go over oh my gosh i can't believe i did this ah, i did it i did it and you get down to the bottom of that hill it's like oh, it wasn't so bad what there's another hill i'm going up another hill and now it's going to do some ups and downs and maybe it's going to do a loop so uh the construction of a story is very much like making a good ride or a game uh, you have to keep your uh, viewers, your readers off balance. You have to spin a story. Never take your readers where they want to go right away and keep spinning that story around. Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's library has become a modern classic for young readers. Can you share the inspiration behind this book and the role libraries play in your life? Well, when I was growing up, libraries were scary places. They were places you went into in the library and went, shh. You'll wake up the books or get your sticky fingers off the books, Christopher. And so they were very scary places. And that's, you've probably seen like pictures of, of librarians. If you watch the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, when they talk about Mary, what happened to Mary? I don't know what happened to Mary. You know, she's a, she's a librarian. It was like the worst thing that could happen to someone. She'd keep her librarian, had little glasses and had her button buttoned up to here and work. Like, oh, oh, stay away from me, scary man. But. When my very first books for kids came out, the Haunted Mystery series, I started doing a lot of school visits. And my day would typically start in the media center or the library. And I met all these like really cool librarians who had turned the library, turned it from this place of terror and quietude into this really fun place with Lego walls and maker spaces. And kids would come in all excited about the book they read the night before. And the librarian said, well, if you like that book, why don't you read this one? It's, you, you probably like this one too. So I wanted to do something to celebrate this new breed of librarians who had made learning and going to the library fun. But I didn't have a story idea until I went on one of my school visits, again, from the Haunted Mysteries, to PS10 in Brooklyn, New York. And it looked like all the schools in Brooklyn, New York, was made out of red brick. It's three or four stories tall, been there since 1932. Forget about it. So as a writer, I'm always looking for something a little bit out of the ordinary. And this public school in Brooklyn looked like the most ordinary public school in New York City. So I said, well, there won't be any story here. But they said, come upstairs and you'll meet the kids in our library. And the library in this old-fashioned school was brand new, had solid oak bookcases filled with books, bright murals on the walls, uh, modern light fixtures, computers everywhere. So I said to the librarian, uh, her name was Mrs. McQueen, I said, how'd you guys get this brand new library in your otherwise old-fashioned building? And she said, ooh, a very generous millionaire donated it to us. So that day, on the subway ride home, I took out my writer's notebook and my pen, and I wrote down the two magic words that have started every single one of the 76 different books and plays and short stories I published. The two magic words are, what if? What if a very generous and slightly eccentric bazillionaire donated a library to the town where he grew up? And that's how the whole thing got started, because those what-ifs are like a pebble. You drop into a pond, then you watch all the ripples go out from there. So how do you make his money? Oh, he was a game maker. Well, who would want to go into this library more than anyone? Well, a kid who's obsessed with games, because that's the only time he can beat his big brothers. Oh, and then you have a grand opening where all the 12-year-olds who haven't had it. So it all grows from that one idea. Your collaborations with James Patterson have been incredibly successful. How do you approach co-writing with other authors? 
Well, that's a good question. Uh, and I have a couple co-authors now because I've also written a great book called Shine with my wife, JJ. And she and I just finished uh, the third book in a four-book series for HarperCollins. It's going to be called uh, Stinky Stories. It's going to be for kids 6 to 10. So it's uh, like 7,500 words and heavily illustrated. So when she and I work together, it's kind of like how I used to work with art directors. When you create advertising, you work for an advertising agency, you're always in a team where there's a copywriter and an art director. And you sit down and you brainstorm ideas and you put your feet up on the desk and you look at the, the soles of each other's sneakers for a couple of days as you just bounce ideas and you write those down you're like oh yeah and then when you got one you really like you kind of block out oh you know what happens then and then you know what happens and then you know what happens and then in that uh, situation i would have to go back i go write type something up and i go write up a script so when jj and i work together we will brainstorm ideas for several weeks We'll block, block it all out, and I might sit down and write the first chapter, like a first take of her first chapter, and she'll go through it and write the second take of that chapter, give it back to me. I'll revise it. So we'll go back and forth, a lot of revisions. And the important thing to remember when you're collaborating like that is there are no bad ideas in the first draft. Because what can shut down collaboration faster than anything is going, no, that won't work. No, we tried that once. No, that, now, now. Now, when I work with James Patterson, it's a little different because Mr. Patterson has 5 million ideas a month and he writes down these ideas and he's got these folders. And you can watch a CBS Sunday morning show about him and you'll see him open up his credenza. It's just filled with vanilla folders filled with ideas. So he'll call me up and say, hey, I got this idea uh, about a stand-up comic who wants to be the funniest kid in the universe. Well, you want to work on that? And I will say, yes. Yes, I do. And then he'll send me an outline. Then I'll work against that outline. And as we've, we've done 36 books together, and as we've gotten, you know, more familiar with each other, he lets me have some freedom within his outline. Like if I want to take the story slightly in a different direction, like uh, he, I, he'll let me do that. But every month I send him 10,000 words. He looks at those words, calls me up within two days, and the best calls are great, keep going. The worst calls are, do you have a pencil and a pad of paper handy? Because that means he's got a lot of notes on that first draft I did. So we'll go back and forth like that, maybe four months until we've got like a 40,000 word first draft. Then he'll go through and make some more changes and, uh, and, and, and you know, polish it up. And he's in charge of the final draft. So those books start with his big name, my little name, with uh, my wife and I, we share equal billing because we share the burden. Chris, you are actively involved in visiting schools and interacting with young readers. Could you tell us more about your experiences with school visits and what you find most rewarding about connecting with students in this way? Oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's the number one thing. And uh, they keep me young. I just did a group of... Uh, third, fourth, and fifth graders down in Florida last week, and that was kind of fun. And we do a little improv game. We have a lot of fun. But my whole purpose is to try to make kids know that writing can be fun. Because when they taught me writing back in junior high school and elementary school, there was a lot of rigid formulas, and it was really more of a focus on grammar and blocking out. We used to have to outline sentences. I don't think people do that anymore. And that taught me a lot about sentence structure. But man, was it boring and it was tedious, and it wasn't fun. And uh, fortunately, I had a couple teachers who encouraged me to go ahead and be silly with what I wrote. 
So I try to show kids that writing is kind of like a game that you can play and have a lot of fun. So that's always fun to see those kids light up and want to run back to their classrooms and write their own stories. That's exciting. And it also helps me stay in touch with kids. You know, you never when you're, because I, I, I don't go to sixth grade anymore. I don't know if you can tell by my hair color. I don't see many sixth graders with gray hair. But uh, I, so I, by going to schools, I'm familiar with what the props are. Uh, and, you know, when you write for young kids, you never want to write, like, try to get the slang in there. Like, you don't want to be that, that goofy uncle who comes downstairs where the kids are having a party and goes, hey, bros, what's chilling? I don't even know what the slang is now. Who's got the Riz? You know, you don't want to go down there and try to say that kind of stuff because Riz will not be a popular word two years from now. You know, when I first uh, started writing for kids, there were these things, what are they called, silly bands? There were these rubber bands that kids wore around their wrist and uh and they were all different animal shapes and different shapes and they were so popular that they got out at schools because they were like trading wars at lunchtime over these silly bands and and if i had put those in the book and you were to read it today you'd go what is this guy talking about so you want to be familiar with like nobody uses a chalkboard anymore a lot of schools kids sit around desks they don't sit in rows like they did when i was a kid so you want to know that stuff. But what's most important about writing for this age group is remembering how you felt when you were that age. And I can still see those feelings out there. I can see the kid I know is being picked on. I can see the the eager ones. I can see the ones who are the nerds. I can see the ones who are going to grow up to be me. <laughs> you know, so it, it kind of keeps you in touch with what's going on. So that's probably what I personally take away from the, the school visits, and I hope the kids are taking away that writing and reading can be fun. Through Chris's unique fusion of mystery and humor, and as an unwavering commitment to igniting the imaginations of young readers, he is not just a superb storyteller, but also an enthusiastic champion of the literary world. We eagerly anticipate delving into more of your captivating tales in the future. A special thank you once again to our guest, Chris Grabenstein, for joining us today. Thank you, Christopher, and thanks for the great questions. Those are good questions. Thank you so much for being here. You were super great. You were really great. All right. That's a call from Eagles. Eat a bunch. Oh, that's <laughs> me.